I hope you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning. I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of John. And if you do not have a Bible with you this morning, we have those in the pew. And uh, the page number for John chapter 4, where we'll be today, is page number 912. And uh, if you're new to this altogether, the chapters are the big breaks, and the little verses uh, underneath the chapters are the verses. And uh, we're going to be reading through about verse 15. So that'd be John 4, 1 through 15, and that's what we'll study this morning. Glad to be able to, to do this. We've been studying through John uh, since this past fall, and we've taken our time moving our way through. We took a month off for a missions emphasis, and now we're back in John, back in the story. And the story this morning has to do with a woman at a well, very familiar for many of us. But let me go ahead and read this together. We'll pray, and then we'll begin our study. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we with our Bibles open are asking again that you explain to us your word that you open our minds to its understanding, that it would make sense to us. And then after having understood your word, Lord, give us what is necessary to obey your word, that it make the difference in our life that it has made in others, and particularly those of whom this text is written about that were changed by you. at something as simple as an encounter at a well in Sychar. Lord, thank you for your word today. Bless us as we study for your name and your glory. Amen. 
What we read was about a third of this story or narrative of Jesus and the woman at the well. It covers most of chapter 4, but not all of it. There's some left over after uh, they part company. But we'll break this up into three weeks. We won't cover this next week because of our big Sunday. And then we've got Easter later, so they'll be stuck in, uh, in between. But over the next three weeks, we'll be looking at this one uh, narrative, this story of Jesus and the woman at the well. And if you like to make notes and plan accordingly as to what's coming next, we'll break those three parts down like this. The first one has to do with water, and that's what we've just read about. The second portion of the story that we haven't yet read has to do with worship. And then the third, which we'll look at in time, is witness. All of those begin with W. They're each one word they should be easy enough to write down and keep track of. But water, worship, and witness is our plan uh, for the next three weeks that we're speaking here in John. One good practice. We've done this before when we're studying. It would be a good opportunity to do it again today. And that is to ask ourselves an important question. Especially when we're studying familiar passages of Scripture. And that is this. Do we know Jesus as well as we think we do? If we'll ask ourselves that question to start with, it'll help us lean less on our understanding of what we already know and leave room for Jesus to surprise us. In fact, if you're not being surprised when you read through the Bible, perhaps you're not paying attention enough. It seems as if Jesus reserves the right to surprise us at will. And some of the most surprising things you may learn about him happen in this familiar passage. So we want to make sure that we are careful in that regard. We're going to find here that this is not the Jesus that the Jews were looking for. He's not the Messiah they had in mind. And the more they get to know about him, the more he is headed for a Roman cross. They want nothing to do with him the more they learn. And it's for sure that this world we live in and the culture that uh, permeates uh, our every day does not recognize the Jesus of the Scriptures and embrace Him. The more we see Him in Scripture, the less He fits with this domesticated Jesus, user-friendly Jesus, uh, the Jesus who is the key to unlock all the things in this life that you'd like that you haven't been able to figure out just yet. That's not at all what we see here. So it might be, and we'll say this at the onset here, that John the author, in describing to us this Jesus, he hopes that we will believe is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, there's a big contrast between chapter 3 and chapter 4. And I think John intends that contrast. Chapter 3 had to do with Nicodemus. Chapter 4 has to do with a woman at the well. Nicodemus was a learned, respected, powerful, orthodox, theologically trained uh, interview in the night, likely precipitated because of what he'd seen Jesus do when he cleansed the temple. But that's one conversation. But what we look at here is an unschooled, without influence, despised, capable only of folk religion, peasant at a well that Nobody knows. He was a man, a Jew, a ruler. She was a woman, a Samaritan, an outcast. What do they both have in common? 
They both need Jesus. And Jesus seems to be equally accessible to both. So we'll learn from this how he responds to others. The way we'll organize what we learn today, we'll organize, uh, organize around the words of Christ. Jesus speaks three times in what we've read this morning through verse 15. And I think they amount to at least three separate surprises. You be the judge of that. Your Bibles are open, you're reading, you're listening, you're paying attention. The Lord speaks to you through his word. Make much of that. What I have to say, make very little. We're just trying to explain in order to obey. But let's read back in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard... Jesus, that's him, was making and baptizing more disciples than John. And then John gives us, John the, the, the author, the John reference there is John the Baptist. There's parentheses there. Although Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples only. John is giving us this information that it's, 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 it's Jesus uh, who's getting the credit, but his disciples are doing the actual baptizing. But, verse 3, he leaves Judea and departs again for Galilee. So John sets up this whole story by explaining why Jesus is in transit. And it has to do with uh, the Pharisees finding out some information that he knows and they're now learning. And it's that his disciples are making more uh, disciples than John. So the question is, big deal. Why is that a problem? Well, think of it this way. This would not be the only run-in with the Pharisees that Jesus would have. Jesus is already on their radar because of what happened when he cleansed the temple. What he said was true, and his authority in doing so was demonstrated. They were all ashamed at what had been done. They had been showed up, to put it in a, a different term, and they all paid attention. Nicodemus had to know more. But now to hear that this same man who'd cleansed the temples, ministry is marvelously successful. So much that he's now outdoing John the Baptist in the wilderness. That only raises uh, his profile. And with the Pharisees, this will become problematic. And it's not time for that yet. So Jesus picks up what he's doing from Judea and moves his operations to the Galilee, to avoid trouble early here in his ministry. That's the reason why he chose to leave. Now, verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. That was the way to get from Judea to the Galilee. That was the shortcut. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So this is familiar territory. We know these landmarks. And anybody reading this who lived there, they know exactly what's going on. That's important, too, because John's very detailed in his evidence that supports these claims he's making. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, so that's high noon when the sun is at its hottest. Now, I mentioned this in passing. This is uh, extra credit for those of you who like to think through such things, but a lot of commentators insist that the had to language, you see in verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. A lot of commentators think that this is calling for a divine appointment, that that's the reason why, because this was unusual, that most self-respecting Jews hated Samaritans so bad 
that they would go the long way to go around Samaria in order to bypass it and its residents, inhabitants altogether. And that is certainly true. But we have extra biblical evidence through uh, the works of Josephus in particular that demonstrate to us that yes, there was a hatred between these two groups of people, but yes, many Jews enjoyed that shortcut right through the middle of Samaria. Some of them went around, some of them went through. What does it mean when we read here that he needed to go through? Or if you've got a King James, that he must needs go through Samaria? I'm not sure that there's enough evidence to say that that is because of a divine appointment there at the well. I think what God does is divinely appointed anyway. That's about a given. And if Jesus at 12 is telling his parents, I must be about the business uh, that my father has planned for me, my father's business, then this doubtless fits in that as well. But I don't know that I would be as quick to say that I know what is meant by he must needs go. Because a lot of the things he's doing here are not exactly the way we would do them, the way we think them. He seems to be disposing of a lot of custom and a lot of expectations, a lot of assumptions. And to say that he must needs go is because of his divine appointment. That would have to be an assumption on my part. Because John doesn't give us a parenthetical statement to explain exactly what is meant by he must needs go. My kids ask me sometimes, what are you doing? Where are you going? Sometimes I tell them. Sometimes I say, crazy, would you like to come? (laughs) Sometimes there are things they can understand about where I'm going or what I'm doing. Sometimes I determine that's a little too heavy for them to lift. So I might use something like that to cover for the fact I'm not telling you where I'm going or what I'm doing. I think the same is true here. We trust that the Lord knows where he's going and what he's doing. And we get to look in on this as we read through the narrative. But the idea of his disposing of these things that we take for granted, I think that might be the stronger point. He doesn't always have to tell us what he's up to. A lot of our lives are him knowing and not telling, right? We don't know our futures. Now, as far as the site of Jacob's well, that's about as certain as such things can be. There's a lot of time between what we're reading and where that well is now. Same place as far as we understand. Only to say John is being precise in his locations geographically. And it's very likely that there will be someone sitting right by or maybe on the same well that we're reading about right here this morning. And it lends somewhat of a humanity to it. Think of it this way. In the beginning was the Word, that's chapter 1, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That was verse 1 and 2, and then you get to verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and traveled from Judea through Samaria on the way to Galilee, stopped in Sychar, and was tired. Think about that. This is the God who made the place he's visiting, and he's tired. And some like to say, oh, John's slipping here. He's showing us things that, that present cracks in this idea that this man is actually God. Well, see, that's just the thing. Theologically, we're taught he's no less than God and he's no less than man. So if he's no less than God, we'll give him that. We've got to make sure that he's no less than man and man gets tired. The cool thing about this 
is that he actually had a choice in the matter, but he chose to be fully man. How many of you would choose if you had a switch somewhere? Okay, you know the switches in the cars where you drive and they want to shut off at the stoplight to save gas, and then you hit the pedal, they start up again? That's, that's strange for me. Most of them have a button you can bypass that. It's aggravating, right? If you had a button to bypass getting tired at the end of the day, would you push it? I had to go pick up a bunch of tile for the finishing out the last pieces of, of a bathroom at the home we, we own in Virginia. I picked up the tile. Tile is heavy, very heavy. In fact, I'd never seen my truck sit lower. <laughs> Either I had a lot of tile or I don't use my truck as it's supposed to be used, right? But when I got home, I called Corey and I said, I think I actually worked today. I'm worn out. Tired. That's what happens to our physical bodies. And Jesus is no different. He's tired and sitting at a well. And in such a, a state of tiredness, he needs water. Which is interesting. Now, when we get to verse 7, uh, we're going to read for Christ's first uh, statement, which is actually a question. So here's where we'll start making points. There's three of these, so there'll be three points. The first point is this. The gift of Jesus is offered to anyone. We've already seen him offered to Nicodemus. It's offered to this woman at the well as different as they are. Look at verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Then John explains, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So he's alone. It appears that the woman is alone. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Question mark. And there's a lot writing on that question. And then John explains for us again with more parentheses, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That's why this is perplexing to this woman, because this shouldn't be happening. So apparently she had come to the well alone. Women are more likely to come in groups to carry water just because it's safer that way and they can help each other uh, this is strange um, usually it's earlier or later in the day to avoid the heat of the sun as well this may have to do with what we're going to learn later about the public shame that this woman may very well live under and it might be intentional that she's going when nobody else is there but Jesus asks for a drink and then John tells us his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. That's interesting. Actually surprising. It somewhat separates the disciples from an otherwise stricter sort of Jew who wouldn't have touched food that Samaritans had handled. They're going into the city to buy food from Samaritans. Some Jews won't even go through there. Well, they're buying food, not just passing through. And in the next verse, John explains that they have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, if you're a student of the word, you enjoy the tools using the Greek and translations and then the definitions. You know, you don't just need to know Greek to understand the original Greek manuscripts. You need a Greek dictionary, too, because all these words have meanings. This one has some flexibility in it. And based on the context here and what they're talking about, the, the most wooden or, or literal translation would be, to say that they share no utensils with Samaritans. The utensil was speaking of the water pot that Jesus is going to ask from a drink for that's in the possession of a Samaritan 
not one that the Jews brought with them because those guys were in town buying food. So they share no utensils, and there's a reason for that because of the differences in their religious beliefs. I actually have a little bit of experience in this right here, interestingly enough. Uh, at one point at the church in Virginia, we needed to uh, provide a meal for our Jewish guests who were coming to speak. They had come before, and for some reason my father thought it was a good idea to give this to me, uh, and it needs to be kosher. So I need to do a lot of reading and find out what that is. And long story short, I, I got a good grade. Uh, the family said, a lot of churches, I think they might have even used the word Baptist, uh, don't do this right, but you did this right. And what I read and what I needed to understand was there's lots of things you can get at the grocery store with the little kosher K on it. Uh, there's kosher food, but then there's kosher preparation for food and the way they eat it and how they wash their hands and some of the things they use. So if you ever have to do this, get the kosher food, but don't open it. And then get some silverware, the disposable type, already wrapped up in a package. You might defile the packaging by handing it over. But when they open that up, what's inside is not. So you can share those utensils in that way. Same with fruit. Don't cut it. Let them cut it with the knife that they just opened up. Or use things like oranges that have their own covering. You can pull that off and throw it away. And what's inside the orange is kosher. Make sense? So these here, because of the way they did their things, they wouldn't share utensils. So for a Jewish man to look at a Samaritan woman and say, I'd like to have a drink. She looks at him thinking, you're a Jew and a man asking me, a Samaritan, a woman. And then a question mark. And John helping us foreigners in on what's going on says, because normally they don't share water pots or utensils or have dealings with each other. Some walk around instead of going through. So Jesus surprises us by cutting through all these things that we would think self-respecting Jews wouldn't have anything to do with. Uh, at this point, the woman, we have to put ourselves in her position here. She's far from being won over by what Jesus is going to offer her. She's quite guarded, and reasonably so. This is an amazing opportunity for us who've lived in church all our lives to look at a story where someone is learning all this for the first time. It's hard for us sometimes to get rid of that in our head while we're thinking through things that are so familiar to us. There are people who visit this room. None of this is familiar to them. It, it, it's weird to them. It sounds strange to them. They'll assess it and see if it makes sense along the way as they begin to learn these things. Well, that's what's going on with this lady. Um, why in the world this Jewish man would ask a Samaritan woman for anything doesn't make sense to her. But a religious male Jewish aristocrat like Nicodemus or an untrained female Samaritan peasant who we're going to learn has made a mess of her life, Jesus speaks frankly with both of them and is quite happy to break social and religious custom to do so. Point is this, restating what we just said. Jesus will talk to anyone. Doesn't matter who you are. 
It doesn't matter the customs that are in the way. He'll, he'll walk through those. Those aren't important. Even the ones that his own people thought were so important. He has disposed of. He speaks frankly with her. So we understand the Nicodemus conversation. But what hope would this lady have? If the Jews have the oracles of God as it was described. What hope does a woman at a well who's a Samaritan have? Most of them don't even walk through there. And the ones that do aren't supposed to talk with her. Especially if they don't have a water pot. And she does because they don't use the same one. Well, in this case, all of that wasn't really worried about. Now, before we move on, there's one more thing I, I, I want to mention, I think is worth mentioning. Notice that Jesus puts himself in the position of need in this situation. His first question to her was, can you help me with something? I need some water. This is the man who made water and made her. And he's put himself in the position of need. Can you help me? Is that surprising? Did he really need her? If he can make water out of nothing, he can put water in his own stomach, I'm, I'm sure. So he's voluntarily putting himself in the position of needing her in some capacity. And if that sounds strange to you, then rethink the, the virgin birth this man puts himself in a place where he needs Mary to take care of him and feed him and change his clothes and keep up with him. Uh, again, no less than God, but no less than man, even in our positions of needing others. So he chooses to start the conversation by asking, will you help me with something? Before he ever gets to, I'd like to help you with something. Some of the times we look at missions like that. Well, we've got it all figured out. We've got all the technology. We'll go somewhere else. And because of our technology, we're superior to them in so many ways. We'll help them out. I think I like the idea of someone going to a foreign country and asking people, can you help me learn your language so I can take God's word and translate them into something you understand? That's where you actually need those you've go, gone to serve, in other words. thought that was worth mentioning. Number two, the gift of Jesus is often misunderstood. And the reason why is because you can't wrap your head around it all at once. You have to wrestle with these ideas, at least in the process. I don't know if any of you ever grew up overnight. We've been raising kids here for 12 years, and they're learning through process. None of them were born with anything. <laughs> we had to teach them all of it. And the same is true with our understanding of what it means to be saved and what it means to know Jesus. So sometimes this gift of Jesus is misunderstood. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then the woman gets into this, You don't have a bucket to draw with. What are you talking about? This is Jacob's well. This is ours. This is our history and lineage and so forth. Think about those questions, though, or statements. If you knew, you would have. Now, did she know who he was? No. And if she doesn't know, then she doesn't know the next part to ask him for what he's got that's better than what she has. So at this part, it's okay for her to be acting the way she's acting because she, she doesn't know. But Jesus is saying, if you knew. 
And that's where you can see a difference of, of people and how they behave. Most of the world is, is on the basis of they don't know. So they don't know to ask. Where there's another sort of people who do know who Jesus is, and they have asked, and they have received, and their lives are different. It's basically opposite of what the world looks like. And they're compelled to do so this way. And to the rest of the world, they look quite different from them. They might ask questions or apologize for ways they think they might be offensive to them. It goes on and on. But we need to know where this woman is at the beginning. And if she's going to go from one category of if you knew to now you know. And you have asked and you've received this living water. But these are things we must think of or we'll, we'll, we'll get confused or maybe take things for granted. But really, don't you have to wonder if you're her? Who talks like that? If you knew, you would ask. I mean, try that out. If you go to the restaurant, waitress is taking your order. If you knew who it was you were speaking to, you'd know what I want and you'd bring it to me. <laughs> I mean, this has to be somewhat... Who is this guy sitting at the well that I've walked up upon? Is he a creep? Is he crazy? Does he know something? This is strange. Now the background for what this metaphorical use of water, because we're going to learn here in a minute real quickly. He's not talking about H2O. He's now beginning to talk about something spiritual. This living water he's referring to. This goes back to Jeremiah chapter 2. And the background for it, the scripture says, For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. God designed for his people to be fed by him in this metaphorical way of living waters. But then he says, They've hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And that's the idea that God's people had gone, No, we'll, we'll, we'll receive what we need from something else, as if they're metaphorically digging their own cisterns to fill with other things and they've got cracks in them, they hold nothing. Keep that in mind because that's going to help us make sense of this. Uh, from her perspective here, she makes a good point. If she's not understanding all that's happening here, she says you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. How do you suppose... Those who are not believers didn't grow up in a Christian home when they come listen to a sermon or sing songs out of a hymn book. Do you think that makes sense to them the way it makes sense to us? Or when you start talking to someone about what you believe in Scripture and uh, you're unaware that you're using uh, terms in a dictionary that they don't have in their dictionary yet... Uh, it's kind of like when you start a new hobby and you're getting into things, you're watching a lot of YouTube videos and trying to figure out, all right, where do I get the best stuff and all the parts that go with this machine that fulfills me, whatever it is. There's a curve in there, isn't it? What do they call the people that don't know it all yet? Newbies. Uh, if you're surfing, those are groms. Um, let's see, what's the one for fishing? I knew it. It's a, it's a new one. You got to stay in with YouTube to get all this. And then they'll change it. And that's even worse because you don't even know what you are then. <laughs> but anyway, she's looking at this and saying, you don't have a bucket. 
You're talking about water, I don't get it. You don't have a bucket, how can you get it? That, that well's 100 feet deep today. I don't know what it was when this was going on, probably similar. But it wouldn't matter if it's 10 feet. If you don't have a bucket, your arm's not 10 feet long, and you don't want to go swimming. You don't have what, this does not make sense to me. So she makes a good point. The point here is that Jesus is often misunderstood. And folks, we probably need to make sure we remind ourselves that what we preach as Christians is incredible. God made this earth and everything that's in it. He sent His Son to be a human to take away our sins. He was killed on a Roman cross and three days later He rose from the dead. Take everything you've got, all your chips, push it into that man's corner to make you presentable to his Father in heaven eternally. That's a, that's a big deal. That looks like trying to get water out of a well with no bucket to somebody who's just hearing it for the first time. So if we don't understand the gift or the giver, we don't know him either. Then we're still in the if you, you would category. But that's where we've got point number three. And we'll move through this quickly. The gift of Jesus is better than anything you've been looking for. Not only is the gift available to everyone. And uh, not only is the gift misunderstood often at the beginning before it takes shape. The end result, it's going to be understood as better than anything you've been looking for. Um, Jesus said to her, verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. He's pointing into the well, I'm sure. This water, real water, H2O. If you drank plenty of water yesterday, you'll need more today. And if you drink, drink plenty today, you'll need more to water. We need water. That's what he's saying. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. So this is different water. The water that I will give him will be in him a spring of water. And that's a different word altogether. One is for a well, the other is for a spring, a natural spring. You might have one of those on your properties. It just keeps giving water. It's living water. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So what's going on now? Because it seems as if she's either softening to what's being said, interested in what's being said, or being really cute. And just kind of going with this story, perhaps. It's obvious in what he is saying. And I think she probably would understand as much. That this has gone from ordinary water to not ordinary water. He's, he's using water to explain something different. Something that can satisfy a thirst that's not actually thirst for water in a way that satisfies it. I think that much we can, we can give her. And then she says, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. But then that still has to seem to do with the local, the well and all that. So it's kind of hard for us to understand. We make some assumptions here. He's not talking about water in the second part. He's not talking about physical thirst. He's talking about eternal life. But regardless of what we know he's talking about, she seems to be asking for what it is, whether we can determine whether she understands or not. She's asking. All right. I'll take some. And uh, trying to figure out whether or not she 
I don't think we can say that she knows who Jesus is. That's later in the discussion. I don't think we can say she fully knows what the gift is. This again is still all very new to her, but I'm, I'm going to make this statement. And I think it's, it's substantive. She doesn't know a lot, but I think she knows enough. And I think what she knows is that she is thirsty. Maybe for water, H2O, maybe for something more. But it seems at this point she begins to accept the invitation to come and see. Which is what we hope any would do in learning what salvation is. That's what church is about sometimes. Well, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I have the answers to your questions, but come and see. See what Jesus has to offer, what we do in our church. Come and see. And that's the point I think she's at. You might say, on the other hand, how do you know she's just not some curiosity in a weird man's magic water story? She's just kind of egging him on. It could be. But I don't think so. Because everything seems to turn on the very next statement, which is what we'll study next time. That's not for today, but it's worth mentioning. Jesus says, go call your husband. And that's where she says, I don't have a husband. And that's where he says, I know you don't. I've actually had five. The one you're with is not your husband. And that begins to get into the part of her life where I think it's obvious this woman has thirst. She hasn't found what she's looking for. Her life's a mess. No different with Nicodemus. It's just you, you can't see it. It's not worn on the outside with him. It's worn on the outside with her. And you don't need to mess up your life to know that you're thirsty either. But I think that's where the transition takes place. And here we could add a philosophical notion that many have discussed and C.S. Lewis made quite a big deal of in mere Christianity. But if nothing in this world completely satisfies you, then perhaps you weren't meant for this world. That's an honest, logical question no one should ever be afraid of thinking through. If you've got desires that nothing in this world can answer, then maybe there's more to it than this place. Because it would make sense if this is all a big accident, and really this is all there is, why would we even have the capacity to think outside of it? Be happy as we can be right inside the bubble, if you want to call it that. Again, this is new to so many people. Some of you know all about the grace of salvation. You know about Jesus coming to bring it to you. You know it's in Scripture. You see it, it makes sense. Others are not there yet. Some are checking it out. Some perhaps have taken the invitation to come and see. But what this woman will learn, and we'll look at this next time we study John, she will learn in time that what Jesus has is better than anything she's been looking for. And that's only because he can give her what she's really needed. And that's only because he made her for himself. And that's going to require faith on her part to understand. So we're not done with this story. It's only getting started. We're going to leave this lady confused. <laughs> but it's okay because she's thirsty. And, and this doesn't all come at once. There's, there's, there's more to it.
This happens during a day near the well. For some of you, it might take months. She knows she's thirsty. Jesus always has time for thirsty people. People who haven't got it all figured out yet. People with questions. People who are skeptical. That's okay with him. Again, he made you. And he will explain these things to you in time. And bottom line, he's already promised early in the story. Look at it. The water that I will give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What he promises is permanent satisfaction in those things that this world just can't seem to answer. I don't know about you, but if I'm the woman at the well, I've just got to know the rest of the story. And it seems as if Jesus is willing and patient to draw people into this incredible claim that he is the Son of God on earth for the purpose of taking away the sin of the world. That's his job. And you'll see when we get into the next one, he can't go any further in helping this woman until he actually takes away the sin of the woman at the well. Same as anyone else. It's at that point that things radically begin to change. With that said, let's us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to study your word, to think through your word, to put ourselves in the shoes of a woman who's never heard of you before. May that be an exercise for some of us who've known you for some time to be able to put ourselves in the minds of those who don't know you yet and explain you patiently, perhaps even putting ourselves in the need of those that we'd like to tell the story that changed our life. Lord, for those that are seeking answers, that have come to see, Lord, I ask that you will pull them to yourself. Answer their questions. Use us if that satisfies your, your purpose. But Lord, we thank you for the grace of the gospel and for salvation and forgiveness and for eternal life. Thank you for your mercy in coming to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Living a sinless life with no mistakes and then giving us that in salvation. Thank you for a day here in your house. Lord, we ask all this in your name. Amen. Pray with me, please. Father, as we began our service this morning, we acknowledge that you are holy. And we're grateful for a holy God. We've sung, the choir has sung for us ancient words. And this morning we have heard ancient words from the word that you have left for us. Thank you. We've heard about the need for living water which can only be provided by the Lord Jesus Christ. We've heard about a woman in need at a well. Our mission of the week is the Water Mission, an organization that supplies water for people in need.
And we saw some statistics that over 2,000 people die daily for lack of clean water. Lord, for those of us who live in the Western world, it's difficult, if not impossible, to wrap our minds around the need for water that is safe to drink. You've blessed us with fresh water that comes from a tap in our house, and we're grateful. We pray for this mission that supplies fresh water to people in other lands who need water. We pray, Father, for ourselves as well as those who have no fresh water that you might supply living water. Lord, our service is over. The doors will open and we'll step out into a needy world. Lord, help us to carry the message of Jesus as we walk into this world this week. We ask in his precious name, amen.